Well, welcome to Holiday Survival Guide. As we head into the holidays, many of us are not quite ready for it to be Thanksgiving. We're not quite ready for it to be Christmas. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks together describing what God might want to do in helping us come to the holidays to survive with certain character qualities like love and thanksgiving and peace and compassion and how we do that together. You know, it's interesting over the years of working with uh, families, working with couples, working with pastoral staff and volunteers, I have never yet had anyone ever come in my office and say, man, I really need some help. I really am not very thankful. Now what? People come in with all kinds of other issues. They sit down. I want to talk. I got a real issue going on. But I've never had anyone come sit down. I'm just not grateful enough. I'm just not appreciative enough. And I'm just not thankful enough. And it's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my kids. It's affecting my company. Never. And yet, if I've never met anyone who thinks they're unthankful, why is it that we all know we can all identify all kinds of unthankful people, right? If I said, now, what's the problem in your company? My boss is so unthankful. He takes me for granted. He doesn't appreciate us. Oh. In your family, I bet you said when you see your family for Thanksgiving, uh, does somebody have a real problem with criticism? <laughs> mm-hmm. And you could identify all the unthankful people. It's your mom, it's your father-in-law, it's your uncle, it's your aunt, it's your nephew. You can see unthankfulness everywhere, but not in yourself. Why is that? We, uh, um, Marcus Gardner and I sort of co-lead the church with a group of elders and a group of uh, volunteers. And, and so one of the things we do a lot of is trying to pour into our staff and pour into our volunteers. And so our administrative staff had come to us about a month ago and sort of shared uh, through proper channels that they weren't feeling very appreciated. And we're like, oh, my God, how's that possible where we have this party and we have this gift and we have this going? And then we realized that because sometimes when, a, when he and I specifically come into the office, we're in you know, task mode. And so even though we do lots of things that would feel very appreciative, if we personally don't interact, they don't feel very thanked or very appreciated. And we realized instead of sort of going, oh, you know, don't, don't listen to that, we need to take ownership of that and say the ownership's on us to make sure we create an environment in our families, in our companies, to make sure the people that have been entrusted to us that we're thankful for. And here's the thing. No one can see that they're being unthankful because the minute somebody addressed it with you, you know, your mom when you were a kid said, you know, you're not being very thankful. Your spouse might say, I'm not sure you're very grateful here. The way you came across came across a little critical. And the minute they say that, the human heart, at least mine is, is so defensive that I reject that feedback because the minute you tell me I'm ungrateful, I start making a mental list of all the things I'm genuinely thankful for. It's my health, my family, my job, living in America. I, just, I sort of have this list. And so... My heart doesn't even accept the feedback that I'm unthankful or ungrateful because I immediately start a mental list of all the things I'm thankful for so I can dismiss it. So we're going to talk about that and why that is and how we can overcome that because I want to suggest to you in the next 30 days that our holiday to-do lists are going to get in the way of our holiday to-be lists. Right? Every person would say, I want to be more thankful, I want to be more loving, I want to be more compassionate, I want to be more generous this holiday. 
And then what happens is in the midst of wanting that, we are going to try and do more stuff in the next 30 days than any person should ever think about doing, right? Is there any other month of your life where somebody says, why don't you try and go to six parties this month? Why don't you buy a gift for every one of your relatives this month? Why don't you try and travel to two different locations across the United States this month? And while at the same time, why don't you totally redecorate your house, right? And you could make the list go on and on, right? And so we say we want peace and joy and love. We have a to-be list, but then we put together to-do lists that actually bring out the worst in us. And so we're going to look each week about how we can create a holiday to-be list and then try and create to-do lists that allow us to express who it is that God wants us to be as we try and survive the holidays together. To do that today, I want to tell a very interesting true story in history of Jesus and ten lepers. And as we do that, we're going to look at these ten lepers, and then we're going to look at four lessons about thankfulness that I think you and I can apply this week at Thanksgiving and during the next 30 days in our holiday season. And my hope is that if we can learn these principles, it will help us understand why there's some friction in our marriage, why a friend and ours are fighting, why there's some disconnect between us and our father or us and our mom, and how we can create environments and companies and departments that really flourish and really speak volumes of of joy and appreciation to those around us that we really do care about, even if we haven't gotten it from here to there. Let me begin by telling you the story, the story of ten lepers. It's a very interesting story. It begins in the, the gospel in chapter 17. It says, now it happened that as he went to Jerusalem, that's Jesus, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, and they were far off. A little background on leprosy. Leprosy is a condition where your nerve endings stop working. Because of that, you don't have feeling in your uh, fingertips and, your, and all your uh, extremities. And because of that, you can gash yourself and you don't even know it. So you can be bleeding and not know it. And so those with leprosy, their skin would eventually sort of die off and become white. And then literally chunks of them would start falling off. It's an interesting thing when you think about pain. You think how pain is always a problem. A leper, the reason they're in such trouble is because they can't feel pain. So some aspects which pain can be a gift because it helps us know when there's a problem. It helps us know when, when we've been hurt. And part of the, if you were Jewish and you grew up as a leper, there were certain things that kept you afar off. Because you were unclean and contagious, you were unclean ritually, you were unclean family-wise, when people came near you, you were required to say, unclean, unclean, to warn people. So you always were at a distance from people. And it wasn't just people in general. You hadn't hugged your kids in years. You hadn't seen your spouse in years since you got leprosy and got the news. You couldn't attend church because you were ritually unclean. So you felt this distance from God, this distance from others, this distance from family traditions. Leprosy was not just a death sentence physically. It affected you psychologically, spiritually, ritually. And so here are a group of people with a serious problem. And in this problem, they know they need help. And so Jesus is passing by, and they are positioned in a place where they're close enough that Jesus can hear them, but far enough away that they're obeying the law of letting him know that they're unclean. So the passage goes on. Here's what it says. Next part of the passage. They lifted up their voices, all ten of them, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Don't give us what we deserve. Give us more than we deserve. That's what mercy means. 
Help us in the situation. We got this problem. We can't solve ourselves. We need God's intervention. So when he saw them, he said to them, all right, here's the deal. Go show yourself to the priests. Which doesn't mean a lot to us. But in the Old Testament, book of Leviticus in particular, it said that if you were ever healed of leprosy, the first step was to go show yourself to the priests. He would examine your body. He would check you out and he would mark that if you were clean, he'd give you sort of a clean bill of health to go home, clean bill of health to go back to your family, clean bill of health to go back into religious services. And you were now um, sort of cured. But you didn't go to the priest until after you were cured. So what's fascinating here is that Jesus turns this group of people that's far off. Remember, they're still distance from and says, here's the deal. Go to the priest and tell him you're clean. Now imagine you're a leper. But I'm not. I'm not clean. I need you to heal me first. Now, Jesus, no, I want you to go in faith and trust that I'm going to heal you. And, and in that process of trusting that I'm going to heal you, you'll be healed. Now, if you're a leper, you're thinking to yourself, I was hoping Jesus would come over and lay hands on me or wave a wand around me. I don't know what he was going to do, but I didn't imagine him yelling from a distance and saying, go see somebody else. It's a fascinating uh, historical account here because look what happens. So it was that as they went, in other words, they had to trust that what he said was true. As they were trusting that what he said was true on their way to the priest, they got the healing. And God will often say to you and I, I want you to trust me before I give you all the facts. Like, you know, God, give me all the facts. It's easy to trust. He's like, well, yeah, but that's not trust. I want you to trust me because you believe that I know better than you do. And you're going to trust my way over your own. And so these ten lepers, all ten, all ten, trust him. They're on the way to the priest and they get healed on the way. Now the story gets to its crescendo. Here's what happens next. One of them. So there were ten. One of them, when he saw oh, that he was healed, he took a moment to reflect on it, to see it. He returned it to Jesus. And with a loud voice, he glorified her. Thank God for what he's done. He fell down on his face before him. And what does he say? He said, thanks. Giving Jesus Thank you. You've changed my life. Thank you. You did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for caring. Thank you for the instructions. And Jesus says, huh. Were there not ten people that I healed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except the foreigner? In other words, there was a Samaritan there, and there were nine Jewish people there, and it was only the Samaritan who came and returned, not the people who followed Jesus' faith and his ethnicity. So he's, he's struck by this as well. And he said to him, well, despite the fact nine didn't come, I want you to arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, can you feel the tension in the story? What is wrong with those other nine? This guy just changed your life and you can't even come back and say thank you? You can feel there's something wrong with the folks who are not expressing their thanks, not expressing their appreciation or gratefulness. You're like, and if you're like me, you're like, I would never do that. I wouldn't be that leper. I wouldn't be that guy. No, no, no. I'd be the one who came back. I'd be the one, especially if this happened to me. But if that's true, 
then why is it in everyday life? I've never had a couple come in for marriage counseling and say, you know what our problem is? No, tell me. We just appreciate each other too much. There's just way too much gratitude going on in our household. I mean, my kids are just always saying, we love you, Mom. We love you, Dad. Thanks for all your sacrifice. And the kids say, oh, Mom and Dad, they're just always pouring love and appreciation and empathy upon me. Our household is way too grateful, way too appreciative. Never heard that. I think there's a lot more of us who are the nine in our life than the one. So I want to look at four lessons, four very tangible lessons from this story of the ten lepers. Lesson number one. Principle number one. We speak up when we have a problem and we clam up when we have praise. Well, isn't that true? How many people lifted their voices to talk about the problem? Everybody, they, all ten, had no problem lifting up their voices and saying, Jesus, have mercy on us, we got a problem. There's something intuitive in all of us. We never have to train our kids to complain, do we? At no time did I, all right now, son, you're ten. It's time to learn some important lessons in life. Life is not everything you wanted. Really, Dad? Really. So here's how you complain. Here's how you properly critique. Here's how you properly whine, right? No, no, we speak up when we have a problem. That, that comes intuitively. We never have to get trained in that. We speak up when we have a problem. But there's also something intuitively that if we do what comes naturally, we clam up when we have praise. Because while ten people complained easily, only one very purposefully, very specifically did some things to speak up with praise, to speak up with thanksgiving. And if we don't realize this about ourselves, our instinct will be to find what's wrong, what could be better, and there's some strengths to that. But in the strength of that is a huge downside. We haven't trained ourselves to speak up when we have praise, when we have appreciation. There was an experiment done by an MIT professor, uh, Daniel Airely. He conducted a a series of studies on workplace behavior. One of the most interesting studies involved the connection between appreciation and desired compensation. He had three different groups, and he had them take a piece of random letters, and they had to find the pairs of identical letters and match them up. So all three groups were doing this. The first group wrote their name on the paper. As they turned it in when they were done, the researcher said, great, folded it up and took it. Group one, name was on it, great job, took the paper. Group number two, same thing, identified the pairs of letters, As soon as they handed it in, the experimenter said nothing, just took the paper and pushed it through a shredder. (laughs) Group number three, (laughs) group number three uh, didn't write their names down. The experimenter grabbed the paper from them, looked at them, gave them a nod, set it down, didn't even look at it. And then they began to research. Each time, they had to go through the cycle many, many times, and each time they were paid less to be part of the experiment. So each time their income went down, and they began to see how much money does it take to continue being involved in this process. And here's what they found. If your name wasn't on it, if you weren't acknowledged in appreciation, and if it got shredded, you needed twice as much income to continue the process as those who heard the words great and acknowledged your name and your work. So much so that even if your work wasn't shredded, the numbers were almost identical that if somebody didn't acknowledge your work, 
appreciate your work, mention your work, you almost needed the same amount as your work being shredded. What his conclusion was is if we want to keep great people, if we want to appreciate great people, if we want to create the kind of environments in our family and companies, if you want to save on your bottom line, you've got to learn how to speak up when you have praise, to acknowledge people's work, to acknowledge people's names, to acknowledge the work that people have done. Appreciation saves money. We speak up when we have a problem, but we clam up when we have praise. Lesson number two, we forget to look back. And I I think the reason you need to look back, we forget to look back and say thanks because we're looking forward to what's next. So before we, you know, get too hard on the nine lepers because we're more like them, I bet you if we pulled the nine lepers, we went and found them and said, hey, 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 you're cleansed now. Do you feel grateful? Of course I feel grateful. My life's been changed. So Jesus is back here saying, they don't seem very grateful, but I bet you what they were doing is I am cleansed. They're running home to hug their spouse they haven't hugged in a long time. They're running home to, to, to hug their kids they haven't seen for a long time. They are grateful, right? They just forgot to return and be grateful because they were focused on what's next. And this is often what happens to us. It's not that we're not grateful. It's that nobody knows we're grateful because it's all inside. We're so focused on the next stage, the next project, the next uh, thing we're going to work on, the next stage of our relationship, the next development for our kids. We're so focused on what's next that we don't look back to say thanks. When he saw them, he said to them, go, next step, show yourselves. And as they went forward, thinking about what's next, it was in the process of thinking about what's next, which many of us are very good at. We're very strategic thinkers. We're very much what's next up. And that is a strength, but it comes with a downside, a blind spot. Because when you're focused on what's next, you often forget to look back. And that's why you don't feel ungrateful. But everyone in your life thinks you're ungrateful because it never got out of your heart into your mouth. I certainly, I'm a long-term planner. I love working on next step things. So one of the things we've institutionalized in our work environment is that every Tuesday we gather together as a staff and we spend a, a large portion of the time saying, where have you seen God at work? What can we be thankful for? And so we celebrate from every department in the church things we can be thankful for. Now, while in the meeting, I'm thinking to myself, oh, we've got to be working on what's next. We've got a service coming up. We've got Christmas Eve. We've got eight Christmas Eve services. How are we going to work on that thing? We've got a series called Coincidental coming in January. Then we're working on a series called Holy Smokes. So we're studying Leviticus. And so I get all this stuff. I'm thinking about the next six months. But we purposely institutionalize patterns in our life to make sure that we stop and reflect back all the work we put into the last project, all the time and energy we put into planning that thing. What can we celebrate? Because we don't want that natural tendency to look forward to keep us from looking back and being thankful. I talked to somebody recently who's been going through one of our women's Bible studies. And they did a a book called Lord, Change My Attitude. And one of the disciplines that they encouraged people to do in in the Bible study was to every day make a gratitude journal. If you want to be a grateful person, if that's your to be list, then start the practice of daily looking back looking over your life, and just writing down things you're thankful for. This person shared with me that after 30 days of doing that, how their natural tendency to critique or to think of what's wrong or what's sort of broken has been replaced with an overabundance feeling of gratitude and appreciation to so many things are going right. 
doesn't mean she doesn't think about the future still. doesn't mean you don't want to think about the future still. I'm just saying you've got to bring this other piece up to say while you're looking at what's next, don't forget to look back at what we can be thankful for. Lesson three. Gratitude is an opportunity to give back to something, to give back to some, someone something that belongs to them. Right? Because look what it says. Jesus says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned with a loud voice. He glorified God. As he's going, he stops. He's like, oh my goodness, look, he saw. Not, the other one saw it too. But he actually took a moment to reflect on what this meant. He paused enough to go, I couldn't have done this for myself. He paused enough because he certainly wanted to see his wife and certainly wanted to see his son and his daughter. But he took a moment to pause before what's next and say, there's something wrong here. I need to return to someone to give back to them what belongs to them. There's some thanksgiving that belongs to them. There's some gratitude that belongs to them that I need to give back. And that's what gratitude is. It's a chance to give back to someone something that belongs to them. When you don't express the words of gratitude, you're stealing from somebody. And you can feel it. Now, it's easier to see in other people than yourself. So your kids are under the Christmas tree. Uh, they pull out a gift. There's a gift from Grandma. Grandma's there. She's smiling. Oh, let me watch you open my gift. And so your son or daughter's open the gift. Doesn't matter if they're 5 or 15 or 55. They're opening the gift and they open it. Oh, this is great. And they start playing with it. And you feel it. You try not to say it yet. You're hoping. But inside you're saying, say thanks. Say thanks. Say thanks. Tell grandpa thanks. Tell your uncle thanks. Because you feel that there's inequity in the relationship. They owe something to someone who gave to them. Now, they would say, of course I'm grateful. Look, I'm playing with this thing as soon as I could. I'm putting the batteries in. Of course I'm grateful. But you know that gratitude is an opportunity to give back to the person who gave the gift what really belongs to them. Appreciation and gratitude and thanksgiving. And what you can see in your kids is what you can't see in yourself. Which is that when we don't appreciate our spouses... And we don't appreciate their hard work. We don't appreciate the way they provide. We don't appreciate the way they're kind. We don't express the words of, of how thankful we are to be a mom and a dad to our kids. We are robbing them of something that belongs to them. And so there's a sense of resentment. There's a sense of something's not right in this house. Something's not right in this place. Something's not right in our relationship. And even if you can't articulate it, it's the feeling of something's been robbed from me. Blessing and thanksgiving and love and appreciation. And yet if you pause like our leper did and you say, I want to create a discipline to pause this holiday season and make a list of things I'm grateful for. Because every one of us in historical proportions are living like kings. If you look at how kings lived in history, every one of us in this room, if you have a house and you have three meals a day, and if you're college educated, you're in the top 1% of the world's population, just with those three factors alone, statistically. 50% of the world makes less than a dollar a day. 50% of those makes less than half a dollar a day. And so we're living like kings in history. People dreamed of your life. People thought if I could ever make it to that amount of freedom and that amount of resources and that amount of education, I would have made it. And we have all of that, and we're always focused on what's next. And we don't return to God, Thanksgiving. 
And we don't return to other people Thanksgiving. And there's a sense that something's broken. But if we'll pause, we might ask ourselves, there's a reason why our employees seem mad all the time. There's a reason why I'm talking to my kids and saying, say thanks, say thanks. It's the same reason your spouse is saying to you, can't you say thanks, can't you say thanks, can't you say thanks. Same reason you're thinking to yourself, why can't she say thanks, why can't she say thanks. Something's not being expressed. We need to return our words, which goes to our fourth and final lesson. I think this is so key, too. And this helps explain it all. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Because you say, no, I'm not, I'm not ungrateful. I'm not unappreciative. But unexpressed gratitude, you really are appreciative in your heart. Here's the problem. Your kids, your employees, your spouse does not have a CAT scan. They do not have an x-ray. They cannot see your heart. So you feel grateful, but everybody around you feels you're very ungrateful. And here's why. Because unexpressed gratitude that you didn't get out of your mouth always, always, always communicates, not neutral, but ingratitude. So these nine probably grateful lepers who are celebrating what Jesus has done with their families and friends, and yet when we look back, the unexpressed gratitude to Jesus, what does it feel like to him? Um, Weren't there ten people I cured? What happened to the other nine? Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Were there not found any who returned, who gave back what belonged to me, gave back what belonged to God? The glory, which means the credit or the weight of what is due to him, except this foreigner. And that's why in your family, though you don't feel ungrateful, here's the key. Here's the main issue in gratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude because when it comes to thanksgiving, when it comes to appreciation, when it comes to, to gratitude, gratitude is not about what's in your heart. Gratitude is about what's not coming out of your mouth. Oh, I told you I appreciated you on our 10th anniversary. Yeah, that was 13 years ago. And if you can absorb this, this is the key to unlocking this thing. Gratitude is not about what's in your heart. I don't doubt that in your heart you're grateful. I I really don't doubt that. But that's not the problem. Gratitude is about what's not coming out of your mouth. And that is why we've got to train ourselves to, like that leper, stop See what's going around. Remind ourselves the things we appreciate about our parents, appreciate about our kids, appreciate about our employees. And then say, did any of that come out of my mouth today? Uh, No, it didn't. And if it doesn't come out of your mouth, you know what everybody around you is feeling? Not, I guess we're doing good. I guess we're still at the same place last time you appreciated us. No, no. It's an ever-sinking, leaking bucket. So unexpressed Gratitude communicates ingratitude, and your words got to constantly fill that bucket back up with appreciation and praise. And so for the next 30 days, when you're writing all your to-do lists, and you're driving yourself crazy with these to-do lists you have to do, and those to-do lists are in complete conflict with your to-be list, I want to encourage you to 
only pick things on your to-do list at all possible that allow you to be the person you want to be. Because the message of the Bible is that God wants to fill your heart with gratitude. The main message of the Bible is that we actually have a type of leprosy. It's called self-centeredness. You can see it. In fact, one of the keys of pride and arrogance is in unthankfulness. In fact, in the book of Romans, God says one of the worst parts of the human heart, the worst part of the human heart, you think, oh, it's going to be be murder, it's going to be serial adultery. No, God says one of the worst parts of the human heart, the sort of modern-day internal leprosy, he says, is unthankful. Stunning in Romans 1. Your hearts are unthankful, and therefore God is giving you over to your debased mind. We don't think of unthankfulness as a big deal. Eh, I probably should work on that, you know, a little tweak here and there. God said that is the fundamental problem, and you can't fix it yourself. You need God to, if one, come in and forgive you for all the damage you've done that you don't even realize, for God to be your forgiver, and two, for God to be your leader and begin to teach you. Because God is the most grateful being in the universe. He's grateful for you. He's grateful for life. He's grateful for opportunity. And he couldn't sit in heaven. He was so grateful. He's like, I've got to share this with somebody. So he made mankind. And when mankind got in trouble and wasn't even thankful for him making him, God says, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to rescue them. I'm so, rescue, so thankful for the opportunity to go and, and get down in the mud with them and to be betrayed for them. I'm so thankful that I could rescue them from their own problem they got into. God is the most grateful being in the universe. And Jesus comes in gratitude and says, I want to forgive you for what you've done wrong. And I am so thankful that God gave me the opportunity to suffer and sacrifice myself so I could help you begin to live a life of of gratitude and appreciation. Because I want you to have the best kind of marriages and the best kind of families and the best kind of companies. So this season, the next 30 days, I'd like you to make a to-do list that flows from your to-be list. And do you want to be a person of thanksgiving? Then look at those four lessons together and begin to practice reflecting what's going well and making sure it's getting out of your mouth and ask God for help. I'd like to hear a story of somebody who's been through that very journey himself. How can we be thankful when things are going well and how can we be thankful when things are going poorly? It's easy to do it in the one but not the other. Can we give a warm welcome to my friend Steve? Steve, come on up. Thanks for being with us today, Steve. Hey, Chad. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, we're in the series called Holiday Survival Guide. Tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey and how things are going well, and yet um, you didn't seem to feel the feelings you wanted to feel during that time. Yeah, I, I grew up in a, in a great household. I had a wonderful family. Uh, but what I was really focused on a lot was about success. It was about getting the good grades, uh, getting into the good schools, getting into the good job, uh, making money, and really fulfilling a, a career path for me. And about the time I was around 30 years old, where I really started doing kind of a, an inventory, a personal inventory, if you will, where I kind of checked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, the financial box checked off, family box, material, career, all those types of things checked off really well, but I never checked the spiritual box. Mm. And there was always a point during this time in my life where I would seem to, I should have been really thankful, but I, there was a part of me that was just unfulfilled. I, I didn't understand why I was doing all this. And so I started really looking at my spiritual side, which I had never looked at in my life before that. 
and I really want to understand what Jesus meant to my life. And I got in a group of guys in a men's group and, and just started really trying to understand what Jesus could be in my life. And it was a three-year journey, so it wasn't overnight, but it was a three-year journey of really some real self-reflection. And through that time, I really got to understand really what Jesus meant. And was that the first time you'd ever read the Bible before? The first time I ever read the Bible. First time I had ever even looked at anything spiritual in my life. Hmm. And it was through that, through that three-year journey where I, did, I made a decision to say, you know what, I want Jesus to be my forgiver. I want him to be my leader. I want hmm. him to lead me for the rest of my life. Hmm. And so now it wasn't like you lost your success. It was that you just added this other component, which was the person who made you actually wanted to be in... How would you, a friendship with you, a relationship with you? How would you describe yeah, I mean, it? Yeah, it was, it was a relationship. It was like having a partner in life. And uh, it really brought a, a new dimension of peace and comfort. Um, and, and just kind of like God had my back. Hmm. You know, it was just kind of like having a, having a true partner that yeah. no matter what the circumstance, I was going to have somebody with me. Yeah. Well, how about the other side? So it's one thing to say, well... It's easy to be thankful when things are going well, and you found that without God, you couldn't even enjoy all the things as much as you wanted to. Now that you've got God in your life, uh, you told me uh, this week about a season we had really bad news. How were you thankful? Tell me about the bad news, and how were you thankful when things were going really bad? Yeah, so I, this was around 2000 when I really decided that I was going to have Jesus uh, lead my life. And in 2001, um, I got unfortunate news that I was diagnosed with cancer. And it wasn't just cancer, even though that's obviously bad in of itself, but it was advanced stage cancer. Mm. And doctors told me at that time I had six to 18 months to live. And it was through that journey where I really had to decide how I was going to react to this. And my, and my decision at that time, or at least what I felt was, I still had the sense of peace. I still had the sense of comfort. And I think it was because I knew that this wasn't the end of the story, whether it was the whether it was the end of the story from as far as a physical presence here on earth or because I knew I had an eternal perspective as well. So I could really have a thankfulness heart in that season, even though it was very, very difficult. And when you say eternal perspective, so, you know, one of the claims of Jesus is that he defeats death. And so even if you do die, you get a new life and you live for eternity. Is that, is that what you mean by that? That's what I mean by that, yeah. Okay. So it, it, it allowed me to have a peaceful heart in mm. the, despite those circumstances. Even if cancer ended in death, you still had a peace that this wasn't your last this chapter. This wasn't the last chapter, no. but there was another chapter. And during this, this time of, of really trying to come to grips with the idea that, okay, I've, I've got cancer and what's going to happen next, uh, one of the areas where I really, as I reflect back, looking at it, I was very thankful in, in one aspect of it where I would, um, you know, with, when someone gives you a diagnosis of six to 18 months to live, it's like, okay, i got to find someone to actually be able to treat me because these doctors were saying there's nothing more they can do for me. And, again, I, I had a one-year-old at home. My one-year-old daughter just turned one. I had a two-and-a-half-year-old. That wasn't the news I wanted to hear. Sure. So <clears throat> I would pray that God would be very clear as to what doctor that was going to treat me and give me a chance. And I traveled for two and a half months around the country, all these great cancer centers, um, listening to doctors tell me that there was nothing more they could do. And I thanked every time that happened. I thanked God for that. You thanked him for the news that they couldn't help you. I thanked him for the news they couldn't help me, right? How did you do that? How did your brain process that? Okay, so so I processed it was because my prayer going into every visit was I needed 
the Lord to guide me to be very clear on what doctor was to treat me. And every time a doctor said there's nothing more they can do, I said, thank you, Lord, because that was very clear. Now it's on to the next doctor. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> so um, so in that sense, I, I knew that there was I knew in my heart there was a doctor out there, but I I just had to keep searching. The Lord was every time he was a, a door was closed, a new door opened. And um, I, I didn't focus so much on the why. In that moment, I, one of the things I've learned through my life struggles is that when you're so focused on the why this happens to me, why did this, why did this cancer come about, I couldn't be thankful for that. So I really did have to look at kind of what the next chapter of my life would be. What's going to be the next story that God's going to write? This can't be the end of the story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So I always looked at kind of, in a sense, what is the next chapter and not so focused on the why, but what is next. Yeah, and let's, let's uh, talk about that one, too, because one of the challenges we just talked about is sometimes in focusing on what's next, we forget to go back. So how did focusing on what's next keep you from depression and discouragement, all those things that happen when you go through long-term illnesses? So how did the next, the next thing about what's next help? And then how did you, while doing that, not forget to go back and be thankful to God and to what he provided for you? Well, I mean, when you're in that circumstance, when you're in a difficult circumstance, you have to trust that the Lord's got the next chapter written for you already, which he does. I knew he had the next chapter written. So that kept me going. That kept me going through that difficult state and still being grateful for that, Hmm. um, even in the midst of that trouble. However, as you get those next chapters written and you can kind of move ahead out of that troubled time, then is and only then can you really look back and say, okay, these are all the chapters that were written. And this is how I got to today because I was able to look back and be very thankful. And it and also when you look back is really a time where you can truly see hope in that. Yeah. You can be hopeful because you can see how God has carried me through each and every step along the way that I wouldn't have been able to do for myself. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to survive, probably. Those doctors probably were right um, without the Lord being in my heart, without Jesus being in my heart, leading Mm. me along the way. I probably would not have been able to survive. Um, Mm. And the doctors would have been right. But thank the Lord that the the doctors were not. And that was 15 years ago uh, when uh, I was originally Uh, diagnosed. Let's thank God for that. Thank God for you and for your story. Oh, thank you. Well, Steve, thank you. So it sounds like looking forward gave you hope and looking back gave you gratitude. Absolutely. Well, thank Steve one more time for sharing his story today. Steve, thank you. I appreciate Thanks, it, man. My pleasure. Thanks for being with us. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Um, this next song really expresses that. It's a great song because it's not a song that says everything's going great in my life. It's a song that says on my worst day, when I get difficult news, when things aren't everything that I want them to be. It's in those moments and it's at those times that I can thank God, that I can be thankful for what he's doing in the midst of the challenges. Let's listen together. We have uh, staff outings. We do planning. One of the things we do every time we take our staff out is we take the first few minutes and we actually our first hour, actually, and we go around person by person, and we thank them for who they are. We thank them for what they do. And uh, so I got an opportunity. We went out uh, last week, and or a week and a half ago, and so I got a chance. I didn't organize it. Somebody else uh, organized it. And just to hear the words, hey, Chad, we thank you for your love, your humility, 
Chad, we see how you're able to manage hundreds of things at once and to do it uh, in service to others. And, and to hear somebody say stuff, you're like, wow, somebody notices. Somebody sees how much I love and how I connect. I was joking last night um, with somebody after our Saturday service. I said, yeah, I try and tell the staff, uh, you know, don't put me up on a pedestal because I make mistakes. And the staff says, don't worry, Chad, we don't put you up on a pedestal. <laughs> But isn't there something about occasionally having people say, man, I, I want to tell you, I see the kind of person you are. I see your heart. I see your love. I see your commitment. I see your perseverance. I want to know God wants to express that kind of thanksgiving to you. And he wants you to, in turn, take that and express it to the people around you. So in the spirit of that, can we thank our band one more time for the great work today? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And as we leave for Thanksgiving, I just want to say, as your pastor, as a team of pastors, I am so thankful for the opportunity we have to have you in our church. I'm so thankful for those who are new to the church, who are sort of new, kicking the tires like Steve, and you're not sure you believe in God, Jesus, the Bible. Let me tell you, I so appreciate your trust, that you'd be willing to come and say, I'm willing to give you a shot to listen. I'm willing to laugh with you. I'm willing to kick the tires with you. We take that as a sacred privilege. I'm so thankful for the way in which you... Uh, Entrust your kids to us in our children's ministry, our student ministry, to say, hey, I'm entrusting you that you're going to try and you know, teach them something about God and about family. And, and we are just so grateful as a staff. We're so grateful as a church to be your pastors, to be your leaders, and be part of the journey you're on in uh, trying to pursue God and a higher meaning for your life. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll have a Thanksgiving together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the reminder to be people of appreciation and thanksgiving. If I was we go out today... I would just ask that that overflows from our hearts as we meditate on everything you've given us and that we can take that and give that to others as well. And we ask this in your name. Amen. We'll see you all next week for Holiday Survival Guide Part 2. Thanks again.